Nate Robertson, and this is the Mountain and Prairie Podcast, where I introduce you to some of the innovative and creative individuals who are helping to shape the future of the American West. I meet most of these people through my work in ranch brokerage and land conservation, or through my hobbies and interests that revolve around spending time up high in the mountains. My guests include ranchers, writers, entrepreneurs, conservationists, athletes, artists, pretty much anyone who's doing important work and has an interesting story to tell. My guest today is Duke Beardsley. Duke was well on his way to a career in medicine when, just before med school, he took a hard turn onto a new path when he decided to pursue art as a full-time vocation. Since then, he's become one of the West's most revered artists, producing paintings of cowboys, anglers, and the Western way of life in a style that is uniquely his own. His work is big, bold, and completely original, and it continues to grow and evolve in ways that surprise even Duke himself. Thanks to a childhood spent between Denver and his family's eastern Colorado ranch, Duke has been immersed in cowboy culture for as long as he can remember. He's been drawing nonstop since he could hold a crayon, and as a child, sometimes to the dismay of his parents, he demonstrated a proclivity for sketching western scenes on the walls of his family's home. Duke is also a committed conservationist with a deep devotion to preserving the west landscapes and heritage. This eclectic mix of experiences and interests, combined with a formal art education, allows Duke to produce works that are ambitious, inspiring, and engaging. I stopped by Duke's Denver studio earlier this week, where we had a fun and wide-ranging conversation. We chatted about his decision to change his career goal from medicine to art, and the value he gleaned from a formal art education. He explains that lifelong obsession with drawing on walls, and he tells us some great stories about how, even as an adult, that drawing on walls has led to surprising professional opportunities. We talk about his artistic process, his meditation practice, and how he manages his extroverted personality in the solitary world of creating art. He also discusses why land conservation is an issue so near and dear to his heart, and he offers up some excellent book recommendations. This was a lot of fun, and I really appreciate Duke inviting me into his studio. Be sure to check out the episode notes for links to everything we discuss, and check out Duke on Instagram, Facebook, and on his website. Thanks a lot. Here's Duke Beardsley. When you meet somebody for the first time and they ask you, what do you do, as people like to ask, how do you answer that? That's a good question. Uh, I think lately I've just told them I paint cowboys. Yeah. But you do you do a lot more than that, too. I mean, cowboys is over overarching theme, but what else do you paint? Um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I think... Yeah, you're right. Cowboys is kind of the umbrella, but uh, I try to paint um, an energy and maybe through the icon of the cowboy, uh, a, um, a, a spirit of, of a West that I grew up in and that I'm familiar with and that I still see day to day. I'm not, I mean, I'm not trying to, I don't paint Charlie Russell's West, mm-hmm. you know, I try to paint mine uh, here and now. Um, so... I think probably the best way to start is where you did grow up, because I know your family has been in the West forever. So where did you grow up? Right here in Denver. In Denver. I did. And yep. your, your family had a, they had a ranch out, That's out right. east, is that right? Southeast corner of Douglas County. Got it. Literally the southeast corner. And then a little bit of, of Elbert County. A uh, little cow-calf operation. My grandfather uh, purchased the ranch, I think about the year I was born. And then he and my dad and uncle and aunt and... Uh, they were all from the Springs. Um, they ran a little cow calf and hay operation, and it was it was kind of what everyone did on the weekends. Everyone had a day job mm-hmm. in town, um, and that's an old Western model I think I've discovered, where you know um, 
people had a life in town and a ranch outside of town. Sure. Uh, that goes back uh, certainly to my great-grandfather in our family. So yeah. where did your six generations, where did the, the folks come from that ended up settling here? Um, at, predominantly the East. I mean, the, the, as far as I know, uh, the Beardsley crew moved here with the railroad mm-hmm. uh, from, from Wisconsin primarily. Uh, and first generation here were miners and, and then pretty gradually or pretty quickly became um, merchants and business people and bankers and that kind of stuff. Um, mom's family, again, from the east, came west with the railroad company, ended up in Pueblo okay. and had a lumber company, uh, the Newton Lumber Company, that, that pretty quickly expanded to the Springs and Denver, and, and then Denver became the headquarters. And then the subsequent generations did all kinds of stuff. Got it. So, Got it. Um, and so, you know, obviously the West is in your blood. Has art been in, in your family's blood or are you the, or is your, anybody in your family really artistic? Where did this come from? Well, a lot of artistic energy in my family, for sure. Um, nobody was foolish enough to go try to do this for a living, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, both my parents in their own rights were very artistic. Mom's real musical and dad had an amazing eye. Um, so, um, but no, I think I'm the only one who's, who's really gone this route and so somebody gave me some inside info that people have known you were going to be an artist since you're about two years old when they walked into your bedroom and you had drawn a mural all over the side of that <laughs> yeah well, the, the mural that. was a little later i think i was maybe 11 but um, the wall has been a preferred media a preferred uh canvas for quite it a while. has been it might it might suggest how i ended up painting so large but yeah i started drawing very really really young it's okay. just kind of how i processed the world i think mm-hmm. and most of this is is family tale, but uh, I, I know from a fact for, I've I've used drawing as my preferred method for downloading my life since I was really little. Got it. And it's always been very representational. The things that I saw went in, came back out my hand. Got it. Just my way of trying to understand it all. So, have you always thought you wanted to be a professional artist? No, or really. No, I kind of um, I was trying to go to medical school. Were you really? College, yeah. And uh, that was a great experience, uh-huh. but it was hard. Yeah. And it, not just because the work was hard, but it, it, I slowly but surely came to the conclusion that science isn't my passion. Mm-hmm. And um, fortunately, I was in a position to be able to heed that call and, and step away and, and not have to go on to medical school. So how far along that path had you gone? Well, I didn't study. Uh, I wasn't a pre-med in college, so I had to go back and do a, pe- a post-bac. Oh, so you were in that process. So I went that. back and I was at the Claremont Colleges in California uh-huh. and um, they had a program and uh, I was about three quarters of the way through it Wow! when I woke up in a cold sweat and for the first time in my life, just like, what am I doing? Uh, <laughs> had like, you questioned it before that? The medical track? Yeah. No, I'd really just kind of, I was an EMT here oh, for okay. a couple of years. I was on the ski patrol and steamboat and I got my EMT and I really liked the interaction with people. Yeah. Loved it. And, uh, that's what set me down that path, and and then pretty quickly got there and realized how important science is to that. Sure. And then um, I spent a spring break with a family friend here, a, a physician of, of local renown, and and here he was in in the, the golden years of his career, and clearly science was still something that pushed his buttons. Uh-huh. And so that's what I realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. What did your your family think of that when you decided to make that make that transition? I mean, of starting it or leaving it? Leaving it. Oh, I think. 
most people, and my, I definitely throw my family in with this too, were, were very supportive. You That's know, good. I think my, my dad, understandably, we had a lot of urgency, like, you're not getting any younger, you know, sure. what are you doing? But, but everyone was real supportive. And uh, luckily, right as I left that medical track, a really great family friend here in Colorado who had been to school in California at where I ended up in art school, he uh-huh. said, do me a favor and just before you leave, go look at the Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. Got it. So I did, and I walked through the door, and pow, that was it. That was it. That was it. It was just kind of like you were uh, swimming downstream at that point. It just started flowing. I had just never seen anything like it, uh-huh. and uh, and I felt immediately intrigued and wanted to be there um, from the, the minute I walked in the front door. That's got it. And I'm then, sure that was a relief. Well, it was. It was exciting. It happened so fast. I mean, I somehow I conned my way in, uh-huh. and... Uh, I mean, I quite literally went from a pre-med track that blew up in early summer, and I was in art school in late summer. Oh, wow. So it was, uh, it was kind of a whirlwind. And so <coughs> how long was that, the art school? How long did that? I mean, it's a full four-year curriculum. Okay. So it's a, it was a second bachelor's degree for me. I have a bachelor's in art history from Middlebury College. Yep. Um, but uh, I had to get a BFA mm-hmm. in order to get, try to get an MFA, which I didn't think I was going to do, but, um, it was a four year track that I did straight through in two and a half years. I didn't need any of the academics. I had all that done for Middlebury. So, but it was still eight full semesters of fine art. So what would you say was the biggest thing you learned from art school? Cause I've talked to some folks who are artists that learned a ton in art school. It sounds like it really got them going and it kind of primed the pump. And then some people say, I didn't learn anything in art school. And so what, what was it like if you could boil it down to a few lessons that you took away from art school, what would it be? Well, I, on the technical side, they taught me to paint. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a painter at all before that. A drawer. I had, yeah, I loved to draw. Drawing had always been my my preferred medium. But <clears throat> the painting I'd done was, was largely um, experimental, mm-hmm. watercolor. Um, I had really not spent much time with oil at all. So technically, they really taught me to paint. Okay. In the bigger sense... I think the thing Art Center taught me the most was how to work your ass off. Yeah. And, and it was never, you know, college was great, but it was hard for me. It's not how I was oriented to be academic that way. Art Center, it was never a thought. Mm-hmm. You just, I just hit the ground. The kids around me were full of energy and talented. And we just, we busted 24-7 yeah. until they let me out. And that was a great experience. And they were, you know, they had some incredible teachers who knew how to work hard and knew and understood, you know, art doesn't just happen. Mm-hmm. You bust your ass. Yeah. That was probably the best lesson. Yeah, that makes sense. This is one of the top automotive design schools in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and the automotive design, how, how does that relate to me wanting to learn to paint cowboys? Well, I didn't go in it to learn to paint cowboys. I just went to learn how to make art. Yeah. And the energy level was so intense. It was great. Did it give you a, a level of confidence? I, I went to grad school as well, and the, the, it's completely different. It was in business, but it was when I got out, all of a sudden, all, when I'd hear somebody talking in business lingo or investment banking lingo or whatever, I understood it. Yeah. And it just gave me this level of confidence that yeah. they don't, there's no secrets here. There's no magic formula. It's right. just something you need to learn. Was it like that for you? Yeah. All? In a lot of respects, that's exactly what it was like. I mean, um, one thing I learned at art school is that anyone can learn to draw or paint, technically. Really? It's an applied science. Mm-hmm. Now, you may not be Rembrandt, sure, but anyone can learn to draw or paint. Um, it's like learning. You know, I could learn to play the, the piano. Mm-hmm. I may not be very good at it, but technically I could learn to do it. Um, that, was, that was a good experience. 
but also I think, um, yeah, I was, I, I, I did, I stepped out with a, with a level of understanding and confidence, even though I didn't know what I was going to go do mm-hmm. that. Um, I learned to really trust my hand. I think I always had as a kid and as a, as a young adult, yeah. but, um, you know, even some one of it's one of the great things that happened to me at school is someone actually referred to me as the horse guy, and I was kind of like looking over my shoulder, like you talking about me, because I was so blown away by the talent around me. And a lot of these kids were younger. I was twenty five when I went to art school, oh, wow. so there were like eighteen and nineteen year old kids there who drew like Michelangelo. Like yeah. I was so intimidated and blown away. And someone said to me, well, "What do you mean?" And and I thought, well, "What do they mean by that? I'm the horse guy." And someone said, uh, "It was a kid a year ahead of me. I didn't even know him very well." And he said. You know what you want to do. Look what happens when you give yourself five minutes mm-hmm. to do your own thing. He said, I bet every time you close your eyes, that's what you see. And I've, since then, I've done a series of these crazy kind of lineups, riders, uh-huh. renamed every time, every time I close my eyes. Really? And I think that's one of the other great things Art Center gave me was, this has always been in me. I just hadn't really heard the call yet. It's cool that you learned that from another student. Because I, I remember when I was applying to grad school, somebody said, you're going to learn as much or more from the other students oh, yeah. as you do from the teachers. Absolutely. And so it's cool to hear that that's Absolutely. the same case there. Totally. I mean, the, the kids that I was surrounded by were, were maybe the best part of art school. Sure. I mean, my roommate Brown Cannon is one of the finest photographers out there. Uh-huh. And uh, a classmate of mine, Christian Alsman, is now a senior art director for Industrial Light and Magic. You know, he, wow. he designed BB-8. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? I mean, this is the caliber of these kids I was running around with. And you... It, you're either going to freak out and run panicked uh-huh. or you're going to get so fired up. And even though I didn't know what I wanted to do, I knew I wanted to do it well. And that's really uh, cool. That was the, the best part about art school, just the caliber and the teachers. Holy cow. Yeah. Some of the best practicing artists on the planet mm-hmm. in whatever their discipline is. They were taking time out to teach at art center and uh, you know, what an amazing opportunity. Oh yeah, definitely. <clears throat> and so when you, when you got out and you're like, all right, here we go. Yeah. I'm gonna be a. I'm gonna be a pro artist. <laughs> is that what I said? <laughs> is that what you said? No. What was so when you got out? What, what was the deal? Well, I had to come home and see about a girl. <laughs> That's a common theme yeah, as well. I hear from was folks. A, you know, I, I think I was probably uh, career-wise hearing the the sirens call of the entertainment industry. A lot of my roommates, classmates, friends um, were going that route. Yeah, I guess being there in California. Yeah, you can't help it. it. Yeah. yeah. And some amazing opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the kids knew that's what they wanted to do when they started. Sure. Um, but I had met this great girl, and uh, she was here. She's from here. And then simultaneously, a gallery from Denver, uh, and a wonderful woman here who had a long history in Denver with a great gallery, had seen some work that I'd sent to my high school alumni art show, just on a whim, right? And They'd been really well received. She called me the night of the opening and said, hey, when you get out of school, I have a gallery. Let's do a show. Oh, cool. And that was it. Those are the two reasons I came home. Got it. And so what what did your art look like now? I mean, I've got, I mean, look like then. I've got a, you know, obviously we're sitting in your studio and I see all your stuff on, online, but how how is it different than it is now? Um, well, in some respects, it was probably a little more... Um, uh, innocently charged mm-hmm. you know uh, I had this skill set I'd been taught at school and then I had another skill set that I'd kind of been working on my whole life and so I was trying to mash them together and what was the one you've been working on your whole life like how would you drawing. describe it drawing yeah, yeah. And, and, and 
my drawing style is very loose sure. and very quick. I've got a super short attention span, so my drawing reflects that. Uh-huh. And I, I was learning to embrace that. And I was learning to see, you know, I, I think I'd spent enough time in the academic side of art learning to do things properly that, you know, one of the great things they said to all of us at school when we left was, you know, now forget everything we just taught you and go do this on your own and do it your way and do it well and get paid to do it. That's a pretty amazing parting message. So I think I was really learning to trust what I'd already done and taught myself, Mm -hmm. but then I was trying to infuse it in and paint. And, you know, I I really spent more time focusing on plein air landscape painting. Yep. I kind of thought that's what I wanted to do. Um, and it took me a long time to realize that that wasn't what I wanted to do. Like I said, I didn't really set out to be a cowboy painter. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'd learned to trust the curiosity and, and follow the energy where it took me. And next thing I know, I'm at you know, a ranch of a family friend, some people we've been buying horses for, for, year, from, for buying horses from them for years. And I'm at one of their brandings, and this material is just like pouring on top of me. I couldn't draw fast enough. I started shooting pictures because it just, you know, asking those guys to hold still is impossible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Working cowboys and cowgirls. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think my stuff was pretty, it was, it was real new, it was full of energy, but it was pretty simple. You know, mm-hmm. color was just starting to make its way in. I was doing a lot of work in black and white. I would imagine, <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong, but that when you're, you're coming out of school, you know, they've been driving these fundamentals in. Yeah. And I would think it would take a while to, break out of that you know kind of the the um, i don't know the standard way of doing things or the, the the way that they instructed you to do things and follow that that advice of of forget everything and go with it it, it might have taken longer than i thought it didn't feel like it really um you know i was as much as i loved all the stuff we did at school i was so delighted to be freed from the the, the model drawing workshops sure. every day that you know to go out and and be around a subject that I was in, inherently connected to yep. uh, of, of working cowboys and ranch work and, and be stimulated to make that into imagery. I think my first show, uh, we put up, you know, 40 pieces. Wow. And I did them all in the space of like five months, four months, just flew. It was, it was crazy. Well, it gets back to that work ethic. No right? thing. Just, just paint. Yeah. Going, going hard. Yeah, absolutely. And so we're sitting in here and I, I'm looking at one that's in progress and it looks to be about, what is that? 10 feet tall. Yeah. yeah. So talk to me about the, the big, the big paintings. Cause that seems to be a theme and it goes <laughs> it was, back to your starts with drawing on the wall. Yeah. Right? Tell me that story. You're, somebody told me I need to ask you. That. Uh, I, I, again, I think I was about 11 and, uh, and we, we had just started, but I think my, my dad and uncle had built a roping arena at the ranch okay. for team roping. And I was a little young, Yet, as far as roping was concerned, I think when they let us rope, like if we caught something, we weren't allowed to dally. We had to drop the rope. But we were learning to pace cattle and do all that kind of stuff. And and I was just in it, right? And the the Western subject had, had been hammered home. Uh, I mean, I grew up with an IV, a, a Russell and Remington in my arm. Big sure. time. Do you want me to stop those guys? Oh, no, I can That's cool. You can let them in, Della, if you want. Um, so... Um, it was just big, right? And I and here we were doing all this stuff at the ranch, and I was watching everybody rope, and I was doing what I was allowed to do. And uh, I don't know where I got the idea, and I know my brother had been a big piece of it because he was the editor. He's We basically uh, moved a bed over uh, against one wall in my bedroom, and Mom and Dad were gone on purpose. Like, uh-huh. they're gone. Let's do this. And, uh, and I remember vividly Woody standing in the doorway kind of editing, and 
I drew a team roping scene on my wall. It was probably about six feet high and eight feet wide. And it was just, you know, the header had had made his catch in doubt. He was just turning the steer and the healer was coming in for his heel shot. And I, you know, I, I was pleased with it. It was never done anything like it. It was just pencil on a, on a drywall. But then I remember my parents coming in and kind of going, whoa, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we should probably be pissed, but that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, so, uh, but scale, you know, I, I like to joke around that the West's a big place. Yeah. But more importantly to me, um, when, when you get to be intimate with working cowboys and cowgirls, and particularly for my interest, working cow horses when you're right there either on their back or on the ground under them the energy is incredible even quietly well done at a, at a big working ranch there's just a big big energy to it and i think slowly but surely over the last handful of years i've discovered that as i paint bigger i feel that energy interesting and you know uh, at this scale i mean that's life size or larger right much larger in this case. oh yeah um, yeah it's something to put somebody up under a painting of a horse and, and give them that feeling that wow, this this is really right. Uh, this is really right. What it's like to be there in person. Yeah. So that's um, so. Talk to me about the you got the cowboys lined up across the back, kind of in a grid formation. Yeah. And I'll put pictures of some of this stuff on the website so people Great. can see it. Yeah. Um, but like, where did you get the idea for that? I mean, it's kind of a... That, those lineups? Kind of, yeah. The really original name I used. Yeah, uh, no, it makes sense. That's the, perfect. The lineup riders came um, as a result. Actually, unbeknownst to me, they were gelling. But in 2007, um, I had two paintings selected to go in a group exhibition to China oh. as part of the buildup for the um, Olympics. Okay. And um, it was a group out of Washington, D.C., put on a great show. Um, and there were maybe 75 artists, contemporary working Western artists in the show. And they invited us all to go. And, of course, Tammy and I jumped at the chance. Tammy's that girl, by the way. She's okay. just my wife. <laughs> We've been married forever. There. Two kids, yeah. Um, but she, you know, we, we just couldn't pass up the opportunity to go to China sure. and see this. So we had this incredible experience. Um, the opening was at the National Gallery in Beijing. You know, full-on red carpet, red velvet robes, TV crews, and, you know, bunch of dignitaries the u.s ambassador the head wow. of uh, the ministry of culture in china i mean it was a big deal and me and a pair of wranglers you know <laughs> give me a break what a clown but it but it was really cool and one of the great things there weren't very many artists who could go in fact i think there were just two of us um we had these kind of vip accesses mm-hmm. and and tam and i took advantage of that and traveled a little bit while we were there and in so many cases we were exposed to these contemporary Chinese artists, and at that time, Chinese the art, the contemporary Chinese art scene was exploding sure. globally. And we met a lot of, unbeknownst to us, really important, famous artists who were working in repeated icons. Mm-hmm. And um, they met they meant so many different things. But what kind of boiled down to, in my limited understanding, was this repeated iconography could say so much about being one amongst the billions in China. Mm. And um, I kept. That was just rattling around. It's like a pebble in a can. I could not ignore it. Sure. And I came home and was thinking, what have, what have we got? What have I got? What is it about this repetition that's so interesting and important? And why does it keep coming back to me? Mm-hmm. And I opened my sketchbook from the night we, the night before we left, we had dinner with friends who'd been, and there was this doodle of a lineup of riders. So I just started playing with it, and it kind of took on the shape that it currently has and i thought i'd get to do it for a couple weeks to be honest sure and uh you know it's been eight or nine years ten years 
Yeah, it's really, really unique. Like I've, you've probably heard me say to some of the other artists I've spoken to, like I'm not artistic at all, but I, do, I think I do have an appreciation for it. Or certain stuff catches my eye, and it's just such a unique look that I've never seen anything like it. Well, I'm glad to hear that because you know uh, originality isn't the only thing, but it's pretty damn cool. Yeah, and I've been trying really hard to ask myself, what do these mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm totally comfortable saying that I don't know yet. Um, that's probably why you keep doing it. We, you know, exactly. It and we've, I've started playing around with scale and overlap and transparency. We've been, I've been painting them on collage. And recently, in the last two years, I've been then allowing the big working icons and the lineups to kind of coexist. Mm-hmm. And that's been an amazing challenge because often I don't really know what I'm trying to do. Yeah. I'm just letting it happen or not even thinking. I'm just doing it. And uh, the very first time I did one of these where you're going to have a, a big working cowboy icon over the top of the lineups, mm-hmm. I was painting the top row of lineups and I, and I was on a ladder and I had to move the ladder over, climb back up to do the left side and suddenly looked over and realized that I had no physical memory having been six feet away like five minutes ago. Wow. None. Like I, what, it wasn't me. It was something going on its own. Sure. And that was a cool, amazing feeling. Yeah. Uh, and it was right about the same time I, I came to the conclusion that if I can just not think and be quiet, even for a nanosecond, these will tell you what they need. No, that's, that's the coolest thing. Well, you think about any of these sports, like I see you got a surfboard up there, and I think yeah. of surfing and rock climbing are sports that I love them because they, every now and then you get this point where you're not thinking. You're 100% yeah. in the moment. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing where, you know, Buddhist monks will will meditate for years on end to uh, try to achieve that, yeah. and you can achieve it surfing. Yeah. Or and it sounds like you're able to achieve it through art as well, which is pretty cool. And I'm jealous. I, I had not realized that I could achieve anything like that, and I, certainly not as a surfer. Yeah. I was a very bad surfer. That's just a reminder of California. But um, yeah, like so many things, um, this this can happen better the less i'm involved mm-hmm. is what i've learned which sounds maybe a little pretentious but no i don't think so that it, makes perfect it's incredible me. you hear about it, the zone all these things uh flow state you give these things a chance and they'll tell you what they need and they'll tell you what they want and that's why i work on so many things at once well that's what i was just getting ready to ask you <laughs> like, how, do you how many of these things are you working on at once uh on too many to you count. don't don't keep track of it no i mean Technically, all the canvases over there with paint on them are in progress. Yeah, now, I'm not looking at them all but uh, at all the time, but I will be. And I like to have 10 to 20 things going at once, not counting little things that I'm starting or, or things that I'm finishing, because I'll often find myself working on A without thinking about A because I'm actually catching glimpses of B over my shoulder. Interesting. And sometimes at the pivotal time of painting A, the answer to B shows up. So how do you know when you're finished? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Keep it simple, right? Um, deadlines help. <laughs> deadlines help a lot. Uh, I mean, I, we, any, I think any artist will tell you, you can, you can work something to death. I would think right? it, would, it could drive you, possibly drive you crazy if yeah. you hadn't figured out some sort of method for, for uh, knowing. I trust, I trust my gut. I trust uh, my hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I know when something's overdone. You know, and so, and I've been in it this long enough that I'm, I'm learning to really understand. Like, okay, we're getting close to it being right where it wants to be, um, but you know, you could keep going yeah. on just about anything. Definitely. Definitely. So it's nice to be able to say, "I can't. It's done. It's got to go." 
So how many, how much of, of your projects are things you're working on and they'll go to a gallery and sell and how much are commission pieces? Like somebody orders it up and, and you do have a specific deadline. Uh, well, I only work with one gallery okay. anymore at the moment, at least. Um, and which one is that? It's Altamira Fine Art in Jackson Hole. Okay. And they've got a satellite gallery in Scottsdale. Got it. Um, they're great. Their director, Mark Tarrant, is... Uh, is a really good friend of mine. I mean, we that sounds silly, but we've become really good friends, mm-hmm. and uh, I really trust him. And um, his people are amazing. And I, you know, gallery—that's a tough business, right? And they take a big commission. Sure. And, and I don't want to be cynical or jaded about it, but you, for me, it's important that you really have a good relationship with those people. And and so, and I've had a lot of great relationships with galleries, but right now, it's working well to have just one, and the rest, everything we do is. Right here. Okay. It's all done in-house. There's a big list on the dry erase board over there, a bunch of names. Those are all commissions. Got it. And uh, sorry, someone's really trying to get all of this. So I would say 80% of what I do is commission or in anticipation of needing the work here in the studio. Okay. Because I'm, I'm, I guess, arguably, I'm my first point of sale. Yeah, yeah. And uh, But I endeavor to make sure that Altamira has some at all times of the best work I'm doing. So when somebody commissions a work, and this is just, this shows my ignorance of your your world, but when somebody commissions a work, how much instruction or or feedback do you ask for? I mean, because I've noticed on your website there's some, and the the color scheme fits perfectly with the color scheme of somebody's room in their house. So do they give you feedback like that or or requests, and then you work around that? They do, they can. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually really try hard to make the uh, commission experience really special for the client. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very comfortable painting in front of people, oh, cool. and so I invite them in to the studio at any point. I'm very comfortable with people's input. I mean, when it's all said and done, they got to live with this painting, right? And not with me. Yeah. So my first goal is that, that every time they see this painting, for however long they have it, is that they remember it as a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of invite it and I don't, I don't, um, most of my commissions are pretty simple. Someone comes along and says, Hey, we saw a painting at such and such a place or so-and-so's house. We loved it and we want one for ours. Or we have a, we have a place in our, in our mountain house or we have a place at our ranch, whatever it is that they're after. And they've had some idea what I do. They've seen some examples and they have some colors and, and maybe a size in mind. And that's really how they start. Okay. And then, um, we just build on it from there. Got it. Uh, whatever. Le- now, of course, I'm doing the work. It's mine to do. And occasionally I lose sight of that, but not very often. Most of the time, the, the commissions are really fun. And I hope a great experience for the for the client. Yeah, being able to come in and see it being painted, yeah. that's pretty unique. I love it. Um, I really do. And, I, I mean, we've had some crazy experiences. I mean, I had, I've, I had a woman come in and, and request to be blindfolded, literally. Really? Until she, and she told me to put her in the perfect place. You know, I'm like, well, where, where's that? You know, and so I kind of, I kind of guessed, and I, and the, the painting was up on the easel, and 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 she burst into tears, and I thought, oh no, <laughs> what have I done? But she was just that moved, you know. And then what I hadn't realized is that the West, that she was new to the West, and the West had always been this thing she'd grown up kind of appreciating. Her dad was a big fan, and that kind of thing, and so she'd really built something up in her mind, and. um I guess we hit it right on the head because it, it, it really moved like it. her. But you never know what's driving somebody. And, and I love that. That energy back to me 
is informing how I paint what it is I'm painting. Would you say you're an extrovert or introvert? <laughs> I'm probably an extroverted introvert. No, uh, I'm real comfortable with people. It seems just talking. It seems like you're extroverted. People think I'm extroverted. I'm I'm a hardcore introvert. Yeah. And so I was just wondering how you balance that because you're. This is an introverted business. It is. You're in here, and yeah. so how do you how do you balance that love, getting energy from being around people, with having to come in here by yourself and just kind of be in your own head? Uh, I think it's just that word, like you said, a balance. Mm-hmm. Um, let's face it. There's a big chunk of what gets done in here that requires that I'm in here alone. Sure. Uh, with a with a brush in my hand. And I'm learning still to appreciate that and to honor it and to, to do right by it. And I admire the hell out of a lot of my friends and, and artists, obviously, before me who, who who have mastered that, you know, just the discipline of being alone. Um, one of the ways I've chosen to kind of bridge that gap between the extrovert and the introvert is to, is to have people here who work with me who are really becoming essential and invaluable. Um, my assistant, Virginia, is an amazing artist in her own right, and she runs my printing press, and she preps all my canvases. Runs a table saw. She runs a table saw. <laughs> she can weld. She's a rock star. But also, I, what I've learned, and, and I mean, what an amazing gift that she's given to me, is that her eye for my work, as it's being made, has become invaluable. I mean, cool. when she tells me she's leaving to go do something better, I'm, I'm in trouble. <laughs> You know, but and then now we've got Della who runs pretty much the front office. Yep. She manages the studio, and and it's amazing how much of this business is that. Sure, talking to people, emailing people, setting things up, scheduling things, and it, you know it's like a bunch of full time jobs. So one of the ways I've I've kind of figured this out is to have these people here, mm-hmm. and you know they don't want to be, nor can they be for me and the work here twenty four seven, but uh, we're getting into a pretty great rhythm of of group energy. Sure. That I never would have told you I would have. I mean, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a collaborative artist. I would have told you, no way. I, sure, I work sure. alone. But I am increasingly collaborative. Collaborative for their energy, their eye for what I'm doing. Um, their trust and their appreciation for what I'm doing means so much. You know, the fact that they're willing to be a part of this circus, it's really great. So uh, that's part of the way to get through that. Um, and. And inviting people in, too. Sure. You know, uh, I know a lot of people, a lot of painters are super careful with their studio and protective and no one ever comes in. I couldn't be more opposite. We've got yeah. kids through here and dogs and clients and friends, and I like it that way. It keeps nice. the energy up and, and running. Well, speaking of the, you're talking about the discipline, what does your day look like? I mean, how do you, how do you approach, do you, do you, are you the type that shows up in here every day at 8 a.m. and gets to work? Um, or is it more loose kind of you know work when you're inspired or kind of a combination of the, of the two kind of a combination of the two i mean i i uh, I, I have learned the hard way that that um, one does not wait for inspiration. What was it Mark Twain said that you go hunt it with a club yeah. um, I think that was mark twain um, but you know uh, i've been doing this too long and i'm too old to to just work when you're inspired. This is not how this works. Yeah. And, and a lot of great things come out of frustrating sweat. Mm-hmm. So, um, but my days are not typical and they're not always routine. Um, but the closest to a routine actually starts quite early. It's not uncommon for me to be in here at four in the morning. Really? Four thirty in the morning. I don't sleep anyway, so why, you know, why fight it? Sure. Um, a great morning is to come in here, low light, maybe even a little low music. Dogs will settle down and fall asleep on the floor and then just sit a cup of coffee and watch and just and don't just shush mm-hmm. it's, it's almost meditative i do meditate do you really but that's a separate practice um 
this time early in the morning in here is really about letting the paintings take over. And they'll do it. It's the coolest damn thing. They'll just start showing you. And some of them you've been wondering, I've been wondering about for weeks. And then you kind of have an aha. There it is. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Glad you showed up. You know, and I love that. I'm just learning to trust that. I mean, this is like two years old at best. Wow. So my, my days in here, I like to joke around. If I'm not in here, I should be. Sure. And, uh, you know, I've got people who count on me, not just my family, but now these people who help me do this. So um, I, I try to work all the time. But I can knock off. And I got a horse in town and go for a ride. Well, you just were go fishing, fish, fishing yeah, earlier this go week. Go fish when I can. I mean, it is my time. And to, I'm sure that fuels the, the art, getting out, oh, yeah. you know, getting out there and doing it. Yeah. You know? is, is Tammy listening? I have to go do this. Yes. It's vital. Yes, 100%. Yeah, 100%. The whole operation it's a comes requirement. to a yeah. you know? But it's true. You know, those things are essential. Um, especially, especially, well, both of them. Riding for me has always been a, a passion. Mm-hmm. I just clicked with horses. I was terrified of them as a little boy. And, you know, watching my dad and grandfather and uncle work cattle horseback, like, both stimulated me and terrified me to no end. And then when I was, you know, 12 or 13 and expected to kind of pull your weight and do your own thing, it took a lot of like, okay, you're going to be okay. You know, get up on this big old horse and go out and do all this stuff. But it, you know, it made a big dent in the putty and it it never, never did recover. So riding still, when I paint horses and, and cowboys and cowgirls working, I think a lot of I love it when people say, "Boy, you should get that right." How'd you get? How you've been doing this a long time? Well, I also spent a lot of time doing it mm-hmm. myself. I love to feel the way horses it shows. move. You got to understand how horses adjust to riders and vice versa. Yeah, and um, you know you can you can learn to do it as an observer, but I think it's so much more important. And the people whose art I resonate to, they're horseback a lot. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I've heard that. That's a common theme I've heard from from artists who, who are painting either horses or, you know, natural animals, yeah. I mean, you know, wildlife. You got to be around. You got to be out there. I mean, even, yeah. you know, somebody's saying they're, they've done taxidermy. You Absolutely. know, somebody paints elk Absolutely. and it just, uh, it shows. What is your, how long have you been meditating? Um, I got introduced to meditation uh, about 2009. Got it. And, uh, I don't know how technically well I do it. Yeah. And, um, but you know, I was introduced and I, and I have a mantra and the transcendental meditation kind of, kind of, I mean, I do follow a mantra to yeah. get started, but, but, um, it's just an amazing opportunity to just shush. It is. And, uh, you, you do this? I do. Yeah. yeah. It's been, I'd say it's the most important, <laughs> one of the most important things I've ever done. Yeah. No doubt. It's amazing. No doubt. And it's hard. I mean, it's not easy and no. it's not you know, clear your, if I can clear my mind for half a second, that's a big victory. It's like, yeah. you know, it's like really hardcore training for your brain. Right. But I found it, um, one of the most challenging thing I've ever done, yeah. but also one of the most beneficial. Things Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And people often say, well, isn't, isn't fishing or riding meditation for you? And there are meditative qualities to it. But the thing I love about riding is you got to be present. You do. Cause if you're not present, you know, the dude on whose back you are perched is going to figure it out like that. Yeah, real quick. And, you know, if you've been around horses long enough, you, even the best horse, the most trusted pal, you get a, you can get a sticky wicket quick. Yeah, people so say that present. to me about run, I do a lot of running, and they say, well, isn't running meditation? I mean, it can be, but it's there's nothing harder than just sitting down and trying to focus on your breath. Oh, man. And for anybody who thinks and otherwise, only. only your breath. Yeah. I mean, it's... so. 
You know who's interesting about that? Have you ever heard Laird Hamilton talk about it? You know who Laird Hamilton is? Yeah, the surfer. Yeah, yeah the, the water guru. He talks about his number one training focus is breathing and yeah. being conscious with breathing. Sure. And it is not easy. It's not. But it's really important How has me. that changed your either art or approach to art? Uh, I think it's grown me up a little bit, calmed me down. Uh, I'm real impulsive. Like I said, I've got a real short attention span. And, I, and I'm, I'm a firm believer that the impulse is the art. And so... Um, it's easy to get carried away with that yeah. if you're not careful. And um, so I, it's just been a big part of centering me, trying to have me be here and now and everything I do. Yeah. Couldn't be more important than with horses. Sure. You know, um, fishing. Uh, and, and I'm not really all that much of a fisherman, to be honest. I, I mean, I love to do it, but uh, I'm a pretty big hack, actually. Yeah, that's how I am. But I get out there a lot, and, and, I, and I want to be conscious and present, not just to catch, but to, you know, I love to cast. I just love it. It feels yeah. amazing. And that's what I endeavor to paint when I paint fishing. It's just the motion. When people see what I do fishing work and I do my fishing work and they say, man, that's sure what it feels like. That's the highest compliment I can get. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, you're kidding. I conveyed the feeling. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I, I didn't know I could do that. So, well, and that reminds me of a story your brother told me about you uh, with the fishing and the art. Uh, and y'all let you tell a story, but something about you being in South America in a fishing lodge yeah. and again you got got loose on the wall yeah so what, what's the story of the walls yeah I, you know uh, my poor dad he, he's been gone six years now but he was wrong it does pay to drink too much beer and draw on the wall <laughs> <laughs> I was at a I was you, you got all of it right I was at a great lodge maybe one of the best fishing experiences I've ever had and I've had several times is a terrific lodge down in southern Chibut province of, okay. of Argentina it's called Las Pampas Lodge and this great crew of local Argentines own it and run it, and uh, co-own it and run it. And um, best group of guides I've ever fished with. And I haven't fished everywhere in the world, but I've been a lot of places. Yeah. These guys stand out. But they, the course of a week, they find out what I do, and they kind of start pushing me like, paint us something, paint us something. And of course, I didn't bring any paint or brushes or anything. So we we kind of patched together a plan. We buy some paint at the only hardware store in a thousand mile radius. And uh, we build some brushes. Literally, we're wiring together uh, bristles from something else and Q-tips. And uh, so I get a construction pencil, a contractor's pencil, and they just say, here, paint on this wall. Little did they know that that's familiar turf. And I did two scenes of, uh, they were really about the guides, because the guides at this lodge, from the head guide down, are the best part about it. They're just phenomenal guys. They're amazing fishermen and women. And so I I did a scene of of a guide, two guides with a client fishing you just got the clients focused down his rod and the guides are pointing another guy sitting with a net waiting and this is the stuff we've been doing all with these guys yeah. all week and the next night they're like you know oh tra, oh tra. i have to do it again <laughs> so i do it the similar scene two guides and a client coming in the direction and the last stroke was the two rods connect as one line oh cool and they break into like the soccer <laughs> chant they're totally stoked it was really fun really fun they couldn't have made me feel more welcome and 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 appreciate the energy they gave back and then, you know, when I'm back in the States and I get an email like two weeks later from a guy who I don't know. And it says, is this you? It was a picture of the piece. And it's the head of fly fishing for Patagonia. Wow. And he says, uh, we got a project coming up there. We're doing a movie about the fishery in Argentina. It's a really cool movie. It's called Finding Fontanales. Is it out? Is it online it's out. now? It's okay. been out for I'll a couple of years. And Finding Fontanales is about this fishery. And it's a conservation story, largely, okay. which is, you know, wow, cool. So I said, absolutely. <laughs> Where do I sign yeah. up? And uh, it was a really fun project. 
and um, just that whole experience just kind of relit the fire. I mean, I've been fishing since I was a kid, but I really got into it after college, and I did it really seriously for a few years. I was kind of fading. I was busy, got kids, hadn't fished a lot, but this really relit the fire. And then Patagonia said, let's do a T-shirt. I'm like, okay. But and simultaneously, I've been doing stuff with our local, with Fish Pond. And I've got one of your hats. Nice. Yeah. Great. And very cool. Well, yeah, very cool. Send you home with another one. Oh, sweet. The, uh, Here. And the Fish Pond story is much more intimate to home. Um, their founder uh, lives two drainages down up at the ranch. Okay. And uh, the local Denver partners are old family friends. Yep. So it's really, it's, it, it's a much more friendship-based thing. And, you know, Ben Kurtz from Fish Pond just called one day and said, hey, let's do something. I said, okay. They make great gear. They do. They make great gear. And Johnny LeCoque, who started that company, is a terrific guy, a really talented artist, photographer in his own right. Had a lot of good business successes, and the, the Kurtz boys are terrific, twin brothers. And uh, it's a very local to me, you know, they used to be headquartered. I mean, they technically still are headquartered in Silverthorne, Colorado, and our ranch is just 16 miles sure, north. Sure, sure. But then their base of ops and, and their distribution center is right here in Denver. And um, so that's not an official deal. You know, we don't have a contract. We don't have anything going other than they say, hey, let's try something else. What I really like about that gig and Patagonia those companies are real focused on giving back. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you buy these goods they've made largely in, in Fishpond's case, and certainly in Patagonia, they're using recycled material. Sure. And a portion of the proceeds go to a conservation group. So my very first hat and T-shirt for Fishpond went to Save the Colorado. And we just did something for the Bonefish Tarpon Trust. So, you know, a dollar fifty out of every hat they sell goes to these entities. And I couldn't be more tickled with that. Well, I didn't. I've never met those the fish pond people, but they've sponsored some of the Cattlemen's Land Trust events yep, that I've absolutely. been to. Absolutely, and um, so it's neat how you know they say in business after a while you, you attract the, the the type of people you attract to business with are people like you, and it seems like you've done that, especially with the conservation side of things. Um, you know, these companies that value that <coughs> have been drawn to your work. So, can you talk a little bit about your commitment to conservation? Because I know. Every conservation event I go to, you've been generous enough. I feel like every event, there's something that you've donated, some of your art. So why is that such an important thing for you? Well, you know, conservation has certainly been a big part of my family, uh, family's history. My my mom and dad are very, very focused on on conservation. And I always have to clarify for myself, we're talking about land conservation first and foremost. Here in the West, that's an easy uh, direction to, to put the conversation because land conservation here is important. Those of us who, who believe it's important feel it's important to leave some of these beautiful open places for the next generation. But largely for me, it also means conservation means preservation. Mm-hmm. And I'm equally as interested in preserving the culture of that land as I am of the land. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't set out in any way uh, to be involved in conservation. You know, Woody certainly has been very involved, in my, and like I said, a lot of my family members. But uh, it just kind of happened, and I started to realize these overlaps, right? Um, recreation, ranching uh, have a lot of common overlap uses of the land. But I, I'm really intrigued with the idea when you set aside, when you put a circle on a map or on a piece of open space, and you say, we're not going to let anything happen to this. Mm-hmm if we can help it and we're going to we're going to keep this the way maybe it wants to be right you're also saying we're going to keep whatever culture human I mean, let's face it humans touch the world yeah we're here we're not there's no part of this globe that doesn't feel our touch so 
even when we've said this is special and we're protecting, I mean, look at the national parks. They're some of the most frequented pieces of ground sure. on the planet. So there is a human culture that goes with that. So when you set something aside to be as close to its indigenous self as you can be, you're also preserving whatever it is we as humans do there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's too late. We're, this is never going back to the bison. We get it. Yeah. But that protection of culture is just as big a part of conservation, in my opinion. I agree with you. And that's why I've, I've been so focused in on helping out the working with the Cattlemen's Land Trust yeah. is because they, they focus on kind of all three, you know, they focus on the big open landscapes. They focus on the people. Yep. And by doing that, they focus, you know, it's, it helps the wildlife as yeah, well. Absolutely. You know, and then some of the great conservation efforts are just wildlife driven. I mean, sure. Trout Unlimited and oh, Rocky yeah. Mountain Health Foundation and all these groups. And, and my associations to, to date with particular groups um, have really been more about my friendships and my acquaintances mm-hmm. um, than anything. And, you know, it's like, pick your crisis. Where in the world do you want to focus your energy? Yeah. It's, it's really helpful to have your friends show up and say, hey, this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. It's like the little land preserve here in my little community here, you know. We're going to do this. Would you help? Sure. Yeah. Uh, and I've been really lucky that way. You know, we can't just write a big old check, but I can give some work that can hopefully raise some money. Well, and I think you... You know, writing a check is great, um, but I think by, you know, when you do this work, it, it also, in, it, it's inspiring in the, at the same time, you know, and it, oh, it, nice it paints picture. this, you know, it, it paints this great picture, paints this great picture of the West <laughs> yeah. that, that kind of inspires people and gets people fired up and makes them love it even more. I hope so. And so I think it's, that's good to hear. it helps in two ways, at least. Well, that's nice. Um, we're already at like almost 50 minutes which is crazy can I just hang out in here all day and ask you <laughs> be questions be as long as you want <laughs> absolutely um, so there are a few questions I've been asking everybody I've interviewed mm-hmm. um, and it's been cool to compare the answers um, are there any books that you recommend to a lot of people or have given a lot of people and they can be about the American West or just books that you love that have influenced your life and work wow yeah uh, where do you where do you start um, well about the West uh there's a few that I just that killed me, and and if if you want my opinion, everyone out here should read Cadillac Desert. Yes, everyone. Yes, and luckily I know they update it, keep us surprised with the changes. But if you haven't read that and you love the West, do it quick. Yes. Um, in a lot of respects, it's too late. I, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, a lot of the stuff he outlined years and years ago has already happened, but it's still an important book. It'll change immediately. Change the way you see stuff, like what yeah. we were talking about before we started recording about watering people watering grass. Yeah, it changed. I never thought yeah. about that. Cadillac yeah. Deserts is, is is important, and so it actually Legacy of Conquest, Patty Limerick's book. Have you read that? I know of it, but I've not read it. It's equal, and okay. I mean, you just you got to read. It's like it's like uh, Blood and Thunder. Oh, that's so good. Right, that one is so good. Just read, now they're coming to me. Yeah, I mean. You, you, you got to read Blood and Thunder. Yes. You got to read The Miracle Mile. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, if you're going to be here and you're going to live this life, <laughs> there's some things you should know. You also ought to read Beyond the 100th Meridian. That's a good one. Well, that goes well with Cadillac yeah. Desert. Uh, for that matter, I don't know why I find it to be in it, but Angle of Repose is one of my favorites. I've heard Another that. You're probably the. Actually. You're the first person to mention. I was talking to somebody that, about that the other day, and people were saying that was their favorite, and you're the first one it, to mention it. It's not singularly a Western book, but it's an amazing book. Yeah, I need to read. Uh, I have not read it. If you're a fisherman and you haven't read David James Duncan, The River Why, mm-hmm. get on it. Yep. That book is hilarious and so poignant. Um, 
Oh, this is awesome. This is why. Did I you asked. read uh, Empire of the Summer Moon? Yes. That's a killer. Very good. Very good. That's a killer. That one, I read that right after Blood and Thunder. Me too. And then I've got another one lined up um, about, I think it's about Crazy Horse. Oh. And it's, somebody nice. told me it's equivalent, it's as good as um, Empire of the Summer Moon. Nice. So we'll see. I'll let you know. It's not, it's not S.C. Gwynn, is it? Sam no, Rambo? it is okay. not. Um, he's a God, I just don't understand how those guys write those books. Like, how do you research that? I don't know. Much I'm less so write. glad they do. Yeah. I mean, they are. <laughs> which is funny. It makes it sound like I'm a nonfiction junkie, which I really wouldn't have told you I was. But um, And I, I know a lot of your people say this. Uh, anything by Cormac McCarthy is fun to read. Yeah. Um, the darker from him, the more I like it. Yeah, he can paint it dark, man. Yeah. Blood Meridian and the Road are two of the best. And they are not pretty, you know. They're dark. They really are. But they're great. That's like reading way. poetry, I think. Yeah, totally. I don't, speaking of, I don't know it. how those guys write Blood and Thunder. I don't know how that guy writes a single paragraph. Because yeah. just a paragraph, I would think, would take a normal person a year to write. Yeah, right. It's so artistic. Yeah. Well, those are great. I'll, and I'll put links to everything. Um, do you have any favorite documentaries or films? Oh, uh, films, uh, documentaries. That's tricky. My favorite movie might be uh, Chinatown. Yes, have you seen Chinatown? Yes, I have. I have. That's, I mean, there's a Western story yeah, it for is. you. Um, my most recent favorite Western is tied for two. As I loved uh, uh, Blackthorn. I haven't seen that. It's a good one. Sam Sam Shepard. Okay. Uh, as an as an elder, Butch Cassidy okay. living in Bolivia. Really good. Very well done. And and South America is the star. It's beautifully beautifully made. Um, the three burials of Macchiato Estrada. Have you seen, seen that? that? That's no. Tommy Lee Jones's. I think it was his directorial debut. Cool. That's as good a modern western as there is. So I mean, I guess I I, I do like you know John Wayne and the Cowboys was one of my favorites sure, as a sure. kid. Um, documentaries. You know, I was just I just saw the one about uh, Levon Helm. The drummer from the band. Oh, okay. I forget what it's called, but it is great, and what a character he was. Cool. So, I, I don't know. I spend a lot of movies, late night background, just listening. Do you really? Yeah, and I have to turn them off if I find I'm watching them too much. Uh-huh. But if, you know, like the Levon Helm, I could listen. You could sure. hear the story. You could hear him talk and take it all in. So, um, there's a partial list anyway. So, you ride horses, you paint, you fish. Is there anything surprising you do? Something maybe weird or that listeners would think is is not like i wouldn't have thought he would do that like you knit i don't knit i don't i would like to I knit. Um, that's really funny what do i do that people don't know about uh, well you know what i i don't know maybe i'm kind of boring no, you're definitely not I, boring. I like to play Yahtzee. Is that strange? Yeah, that I love I to play Yahtzee. That since I was a it's a kid. riot. I remember that game. You wanna you wanna take someone on in Yahtzee? I'm your guy. I love I, it. Yeah, and I'll I'm terrible that. at it, but it's fun. And then I'll have a chance. <laughs> yeah, I remember that from a kid. I've forgotten. Oh, <laughs> and I'm game. a horrible poker player. How about that? Okay, I mean yeah, horrible. Me too. I'm well. the worst. <laughs> um, what is the most powerful experience you've ever had in the outdoors? And powerful could mean scary, cool, crazy memorable just a, is there a certain experience you had that you think back and you're like man that was that was super cool hmm well i think of two two are popping to mind I'll, I'll keep one of them super short when i was 17 i was a wrangler on a guest ranch in montana and uh we got a ride up in the crazy mountains um with another wrangler who was a terrific guy and a bunch of guests and we're way up high above timberline and in, in a terrible lightning storm mm-hmm. and we actually ended up uh, pulling bridles and turning horses loose and riding it out 
hunched down and this guy had been around long enough to know you know get out in the open squat down don't lie down i mean the lightning is just popping the thing that really really i remember and i actually did a piece once recently called no time for high ground it shows a guy leading horses up in a lightning storm and that's about as narrative as i get with my work but what really amazed me about that experience is it was the first time i'd ever been high up on a ridge and heard thunder in the valley below me oh wow and seen lightning flashing below you now, that's a humbling experience, yeah. especially when horses are shaking their heads because of the metal in their mouths and the energy you can feel in your temples. Buzzing a little bit. Bad. Yeah. But, but more recently, I had a great opportunity to be a fellow at the um, Thatcher School in California. Mm-hmm. Amazing school uh, with a horse program, probably unparalleled horse program. All first-year incoming students are given a horse, no exceptions. And you take care of it, and you learn to ride, and you learn to be a part of that whole system. You have to do it. So I got to go out there for that. A great friend teaches there. Two great friends teach there. And um, I was riding with uh, this friend of mine and in the program, out with kids and every day. And we rode into town to get an ice cream cone, riding through avocado orchards. And one afternoon we got up on this ridge and the light was gorgeous just before dark. And something in my chest just cracked open. And I think it was one of my first real tastes of just total gratitude and joy. Cool. And that was pretty amazing. That, that was, is amazing riding a nice horse in a nice place with a great friend like wow boom that's pretty it cool. hit me and i was you know 40 years old <laughs> better late than never that's right. <laughs> um where is your favorite location in the west that's a hard question but is there some is there a certain place it could be a town your family's ranch a yeah. certain stretch of river yeah all of the above the ranch is pretty special yeah. you know mom and dad picked it out and it's a great choice and they've worked real hard and it's a beautiful place um, a lot of pieces of water that are special, um, but I'm increasingly I've become such a sucker for big open ground on horseback. You know, it's so rare that we get to be someplace really vast, mm-hmm. and and you can be a hundred people with me, but just the sense of a big open place, and whatever's coming at you out of the sky is what's coming, mm-hmm. and uh, it's between you and and your horse that you're going to get from A to B. I, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. increasingly and it's you know we've got all these friendships with big ranches i've been incredibly lucky to go get to see some of these places that any place where you can be out in big open country on a good horse that wins it's humbling i was just in eastern montana last week and uh the landscape there yeah. is just it's almost disorienting it can be well and it's such a neat change of pace from our day-to-day it right is. to go through a big landscape and i mean all the way through it at the pace of a horse mm-hmm. it it just slows you down you know, you can't help it. Even sure. if you're jogging that horse for 16 miles. You, well, it's kind of in our DNA to do that. You know, I yeah. think it pulls something out of our DNA that's been there for 20,000 years. Absolutely. Walking around on the planet long, a lot longer than we've been flying around on it. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. I, that's right now. Anywhere I get a chance to do that, that's the, that's the most special. Cool. Um, next to last question. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? <laughs> That's Go to medical thing. school. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, you know, I had a great teacher and friend and mentor, Ray Turner. He's one of the finest figurative painters, really just all-around painters in, in, the, in America. And Ray once challenged me to learn the difference between the precious and the essential. And he followed it up by saying, make every aspect of every painting essential. But, but that first bell ringing of, wait a minute, the precious versus the essential... That was huge. Sure. Really huge. Um, I try to listen to that today. It's written on the wall around here somewhere. Cool. Yeah, I need to read these quotes. (laughs) Um, 
So last question, if you could make a request of the people listening to this podcast, and it's people who love the American West in one way or the other, like you through art, some people are professional athletes, you know, just, just um, conservationists, ranchers, the people who are listening to this love the West. If you could ask a favor of them or give them some advice, is there anything that comes to mind? Well, I would never go so far as to imagine that I could give anyone advice, but, um, you know, it's a simple thing. I sign off with my kids when I drop them off at school and I say, choose to be happy, go easy on the planet. Mm -hmm. And I think in the, in the question you're asking, that's what I would try to ask people to do. And it's certainly something I try to do every day is, is be super grateful and find whatever joy you can and what we've got. And then let's go easy on it. Let's take care of it and ourselves and our cultures, you know, whether we're artists or ranchers or lawyers or bottle washers, I don't care. Let's, let's be good to our, ourselves and our home um, because it's magic and special. That's all we got. Can't beat that. Um, so how can people connect with you? How can people find you online? Uh, website, uh, dukebeardsleystudio.com. Um, We've got a phone number on there. Give us a call. Uh, shoot an email. Della will make sure you get responded to. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just find us, you know, and visit Altamira. If you're in either Jackson or Scottsdale, you'll see what I'm doing. And um, be, like you mentioned, we, I, I try to be involved with anything I can do to, to help with certain causes. So um, if you're here, we're, we're at a fundraiser and giving stuff away, you know, and, and if you're in a position to support the cause, uh, we appreciate it. Awesome. Sure. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Ed. It's been fun. Hey, it's Ed again. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast, and thanks for listening to that particular episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Before you go, I've got three quick things. Number one, if you like the podcast, please do me a huge favor. Either pass it along to a friend who may be interested, share it on your social media, and or go to iTunes and give it a five-star review. All those things would mean a lot to me, and they would really help to spread the word about the podcast. Number two, if you've listened to many of these episodes, you know that I love reading and I love talking about books. Every other month, I send out a quick email with a few books that I've recently read and highly recommend. The subjects are varied, but they're pretty much all nonfiction with an emphasis on history, biographies, adventure narratives, and topics related to the American West. There are no sales pitches for ranches, no spam, no other kind of nonsense, just books. So if you'd like to sign up for the list, head to Mountain and Prairie slash reading or just go to Mountain and Prairie and there's a massive tab at the top that says book recommendations. Click on it. There are a ton of good books that I've read. Some of the old email lists are on there. Uh, you can go crazy. There are a lot of books. And finally, if you know anyone I should interview for the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. All my contact info is at mountainandprairie.com and I'm on all the social media stuff, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. So feel free to reach out. I'd love to have some recommendations and suggestions of interesting people I should meet. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.